Uh, good afternoon, City Bible Church. Um, I was listening to Nathan's prayer and his sharing, and you know, it just reminded me of what a privilege it is to pastor this church. I mean, this is a community, and the Winchies are a wonderful example of this that cares for the orphan and the widow, um, those who um, are poor as well as poor in spirit, and that's very important to the Lord. It's very it should be very important to God's people, and so. In many ways, what the Winchies are doing um, in terms of caring for people represents the very best of what City Bible Church is about. I'm very proud of that. Um, today, uh, actually before today, um, just to give you a reminder, we're going to be uh, starting our new series in the book of Romans. And that will begin in two weeks on September 11th. We're going to spend at least six months in uh, Paul's epistle to the Romans in about two weeks. But in the meantime, today and next Sunday, we're going to just choose some topics that we feel um, the Lord's laid upon our hearts to minister to you. And, um, and that's where we're going today. Our topic today is this. Um, discernment and conscience. Kind of hard to read there on that slide. Discernment and conscience. What is the role of both of these in the Christian faith. Um, I'm going to give you, uh, uh, discernment is the ability to tell what is good from what is evil in terms of what you're being taught. That's discernment. When you're listening to what you're being taught through um, a, a message, social media, um, some kind of someone commenting on, uh, on whatever it is that you're listening to, a book that you're reading, a movie that you're watching. You're being taught something constantly about what to believe, what worldview to ascribe to. Discernment is the ability to listen to what you're hearing and to say that's good and that's bad in the eyes of the Lord. Conscience is caring about staying away from what is evil and embracing what is good. So discernment allows you to know the difference. It's kind of the same, very similar to wisdom. Conscience, which you have, conscience, is the ability to say, I care about what is good and I want to stay away from evil. I care enough to act on it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we get into this, I want to give you several reasons why this sermon is important to you and important to me. Uh, number one, this sermon is important on discernment and conscience because uh, Scripture calls upon us to be discerning Christians in the world in which we live. Uh, when you go to the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it says that some of the men that joined David uh, as he became king and fought battles with him, there was a, tr men, a small group of men from a tribe called Issachar. And it says the men of Issachar that joined King David were described this way. They understood the times in which they live in and knew what Israel should do. That's discernment. The men of Issachar could say, you know, we understand what, what is happening in the world around us during the time of David, and we know what Israel should do. That's discernment. In the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, you know, you guys know how to um, understand your environment. You can look at the sky and say it's red, and so therefore it's going to rain later on. But you don't understand the sign of the times. You don't understand what's happening right in the middle, right in front of you that God is doing through me. That is discernment. Understanding what the Lord is doing, uh, the truth that is coming at you, and being able to separate what is true from what is false. And so part of why this sermon is important for you is because we live in a world where we're being taught things all the time by our culture. And we want to be like the men of Issachar in the Old Testament. We want to be what Jesus was saying in Matthew 16. We say, we understand the times in which we live in. We know what God's people should do. We can understand the signs of the time, so to speak, of what the Lord desires of his people. So that's very, very important for a Christian. To live faithfully in the world means that you've got to discern what's happening in the world and know what God's people should do. Number two, this sermon is important to you because um, discernment and conscience, you have to understand how this works in the human soul. 
you will not mature as a Christian. You will not grow in the ways of Jesus Christ unless you understand what does it mean to be a discerning Christian and what does it look like to have a bad versus good conscience. You won't grow as a Christian unless you understand that. If you don't understand how to be a discerning Christian, how to have a good conscience as a Christian, what will happen to you is that the world will shape you. Um, it will, you will not understand how the world is shaping you in evil ways. You will not understand how your flesh itself is working in wrong ways. And you will not understand the false lies that Satan is giving to you through the world. Um, you'll become a professing believer without discernment, without conscience, who uh, may fall away, you know, who may live an unfruitful life as a Christian. Do you know other Christians who are professing Christians who live unfruitful lives? Do you know other Christians who are professing Christians who basically said, I don't need to be at church. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to do it for year and year upon end. We all do, right? And that's a lack of discernment, a lack of conscience. I know many Christians who are professing Christians, they haven't been to church in years. I know many Christians who say, I'm a professing Christian, but really the best way to affect change in the world is through politics. It's through changing the economic structure. It's through uh, making different races come together as opposed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a lack of discernment. Right? So it's important that you understand this sermon because if you don't, the world, the flesh, and Satan will shape you um, without it. Number three, this sermon is important to you because um, oftentimes in, Christ in uh, Christendom, we have these two extremes of a continuum that some Christians, they fall on this extreme or that extreme of the continuum, and it's, both of them are a mistake. And you don't want to be on either end of the extremes of the continuum in terms of discernment and conscience. One end of the extreme uh, continuum is that you can meet some... Christians, and they lack discernment, and it's like they have no conscience. They say, well, you know what, I went to church. I you know, believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. But when you look at their life, there's very little discernment in terms of what they're watching, what they're allowing to their lives, what they believe, and they're very undiscerning Christians. Things don't seem to bother their conscience. And so some professing Christians are kind of on this end of the continuum where they lack discernment and conscience. You don't want to be you can go to the other side of the continuum, though, and you can find some Christians that are the exact opposite. And they say, you know what? I'm totally a discerning Christian. I'm a heresy hunter. I'm going to look for anything wrong in any part of your belief system. And if there's a hundred different things to believe, and I find one thing wrong with one area, not like a main area, like is the Bible where the God is Jesus the only way. I'm not talking about that. But is there, if there's one thing wrong with your theology, oh, you're a false believer. We got to stay away from you. Something's wrong with you, okay? And they're essentially hunting for any kind of heresy that they think that they can find. And there's a form of pride and arrogance there. Okay, so you don't want to be on either side of the continuum. And the reason why this sermon is important, because we want to be placed, not there, not there, but here. And that's a healthy place for you to be. And so that's another reason why this sermon is important. How do we avoid both extremes? And finally, uh, the sermon is important because um, you, the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the church at Thessalonica. Um, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example. Imitate me as my example and imitate others who follow my example in Christ. And there was this sense in Paul's ministry where as he modeled following Jesus Christ, he was calling other people to follow his example as he followed Christ. If he tried to follow Christ and he wasn't following, he's kind of wayward. He's saying, don't follow that example. And the sermon is important because I'm going to give like rapid, like hopefully won't spend too long, about maybe six different examples from my own life um, over the past uh, maybe six or seven months of how I've tried to apply biblical discernment and conscience and what does it look like in real life. It, the point of that is not for you to say, oh, look how cool Pastor Chris is. The point is to say, you know what, uh, I have a better idea of what this doctrine looks like in the real world. And so th these are reasons why this sermon is important to us. Let me give a simple definition of discernment and conscience. I'll spend a few moments on that. I'll get, secondly, I'll give some examples. And thirdly, we're going to end the sermon by uh, what are some real-world action points where you can develop biblical discernment and 
develop a right conscience before the Lord. Okay? And so let me pray for us, and we'll uh, continue on. Father, um, I pray that during this time, this congregation would have biblical discernment, what's being taught, and um, whatever the state of our conscience is, if it's weak, wounded, defiled, seared, or if it's good and pure and clean, whatever that might be, Lord, uh, you would move in us to desire to be right with you in our conscience so that we may grow in the ways of Christ. Right? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so what are we talking about when we say discernment and conscience? Again, discernment is the ability to listen to what you're being taught and say, that's good, that's bad, let me hold on to the good, let me abstain from what's bad. Conscious is the ability to actually care once you've discerned that. Let's talk about discernment for a moment. Um, there's a great three-verse definition if you, of discernment in the New Testament. If you can turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, 20, I'm sorry, verse 20, 21, and 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in the New Testament Verse 20, 21, and 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the best three-verse definition in all of uh, Paul's epistles of the biblical concept of discernment. What is discernment? Verse 20. Do not, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, do not despise prophecies. Let's stop there. Paul says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. What is he talking about here? He is saying, don't discard good teaching. When he says this in verse 20, see, verse 20, prophecies. Prophecies does not mean uh, someone comes in and says, I'm a prophet, thus says the Lord. He's not talking about that. When it says prophecies, he's not talking about someone saying, um, here is when the Lord is going to return on this date. He's not talking about that. When he says prophecies here in verse 20, he's talking about teachings. Do not despise, and the assumption is, biblical prophecies that are teaching. Then he says in verse 21, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. So this is a definition of biblical discernment. Paul saying what? You're being taught stuff all the time. Don't despise the teaching of God's word, verse 20. Don't despise it. There's this, this natural inclination for some of us to say, don't tell me what to do. I don't want the Bible to tell me what to do. It's my life. I live in America. It's a free country. And we, what we don't realize is a lot of times freedom and individuality here in America is often what the Bible defines as stubborn, stiff-necked, and unteachable. And so Paul's saying here, don't despise what God is saying in God's word. Don't despise people who faithfully teach it. But what you should do, every Christian, whether you're in junior high or a senior citizen, is when you're being taught, test it. How do you test it? You test it with God's word. Is what Pastor Chris is teaching me, is that align with what the Bible itself says? I have my Bible in my hand. Let me test his teaching against the Bible. And when I test his teaching, I'm going to put it into one of two categories. It's either good, which means it aligns with Scripture, or it's off, or be bad, or evil, which is, means it's against Scripture. Every time you read a book, every time you watch a TikTok video, every time you watch a movie, every time you stream something, every time you, um, you know, get exposed to some kind of worldview teaching, you should be asking yourself, this is a teaching. Let me divide it into good, according to God's word, or evil and wrong. That's how I read books. I say, is it right, or is it false? according to God's word. This is biblical discernment. In the Old and New Testament, there were many people who were commended for having biblical discernment. In the Old Testament, Joseph was commended for having discernment. Uh, remember Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, he was in a dungeon, in Pharaoh's dungeon, and he was called upon to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph accurately um, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and he said, Joseph said to Pharaoh, look, what your dream means is this. There will be seven years of plenty in Egypt, seven years of famine. Get ready now. Pharaoh recognized, and he said, Joseph, you have discernment. And he elevated Joseph to second in command in Egypt, and he basically saved Egypt and, and Joseph's family through that. Joseph was a man of discernment. 
Solomon in the Old Testament um, was commended by God himself. Remember when Solomon became king and God allowed him to ask him, him for one thing? What did Solomon ask for? Did he ask for riches? Did he ask for fame? Power? No, he asked for what? Wisdom, which is also discernment. And God turned to Solomon when Solomon became king and he said, you have shown good discernment because you didn't ask for all this other stuff. You asked for discernment so that you could govern God's people well and discerning the difference between good and evil. And so God blessed Solomon. Solomon, like Joseph, was a man of discernment. David in the Old Testament was a man of discernment. In the Psalms, David says, it wasn't until I came into your sanctuary, Lord, that I gained discernment. So David was a man of discernment. When you go to the New Testament, you have churches um, that are discerning or were encouraged to be discerning. In Acts 17, Paul saw the church at Berea, and he started the church at Berea. And it says in Acts 17, as Paul would preach to the church at Berea, they would do what? They'd listen to Paul's teaching, it says in Acts 17, and they would check the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching aligned with scripture. They were a discerning church, Berea. We want to be like a Berean church. Corinth was not a very discerning church, but Paul encouraged the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And he said to the church at Corinth, when you come together and uh, on the Lord's day and receive the Lord's meal and you receive communion at your love feast, he said, discern the body of Christ, which meant discern that your need for the broken body and shed blood of Christ on the cross. Remember when you come to communion to discern your need for a crucified and risen Christ. So he encouraged the Corinthians to have discernment as it related to Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, daily examine yourselves to see, am I in the faith? Am I showing any kind of evidence that my profession of faith is real? And that you had to discern whether you were in the faith. And finally, in the New Testament, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that you are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So that is discernment. We look at what we're taught. Is it good? Is it evil? Hold on to the good. Abstain from every form of evil. Without discernment, you cannot grow as a Christian. Without discernment, you're at the mercy of the world, the flesh, and the devil. What about conscience? What is the conscience? Now, there's no one-verse definition of conscience. Um, and so, what we do know when you kind of bring together the verses into a theology of the conscience is this. Every human being has been given a conscience. Whether you're a believer or not, you were born with a conscience. What is the conscience? The conscience is something that God has, has how God has made your soul. And the conscience is a subjective experience. It is not quantifiable by mathematics. It is not repeatable in a scientific laboratory. It is the, conscience, the experience of your conscience is subjective. And what the conscience does in your soul is it's a warning system against sin. The conscience is a, an alarm bell against sin. It's a defensive mechanism that God has given to your soul. It functions very similarly, similarly to a fire alarm, like smoke detector, to a smoke detector. You all have that in your apartment, in your condominium, in your house. You have smoke detectors. We don't even know it's there. We ignore it. We don't even see it. Why? Because it doesn't go off. The only reason it goes off is what? If there's a problem, smoke goes in the air. You burn something in the kitchen. There's a fire that goes off in your house. You're very glad you have it, and we all pay attention to it when it goes off, most of the time, we don't even care that it's there, but we know it's there. Why? It's because it's only there to, as a warning when something has gone wrong, a, a smoke alarm. The conscience is the same way. You will get a feeling of shame, guilt, of something's not right here. This feels evil. This feels wrong. And that's your conscience warning you that you're around evil company, that you're engaged in an evil activity, that you're exposing yourself to look at things that are evil, and your conscience warns you. Now, you have a choice. 
on whether to obey it or listen to it, right? We can always ignore it, but that's there. You all know what I'm talking about, right? That happens whether you're a believer or not. Every human being has a conscience. Now, whether it's working properly or not is a different issue. So what Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 says is that God has given us a conscience. And uh, your conscience will bear witness against you when you're involved in evil. In Romans chapter 9, Paul said that his conscience was bothered, that he was actually sorrowful, living in anguish, Paul said, because when he looked at the unbelief of his Jewish brethren, his unbelieving Jewish brethren, remember Paul was Jewish, had Roman citizenship, but he would look at his Jewish brethren who were unbelievers, he said his conscience bothered him in sorrow and anguish because of their sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says that what sin can do is it can cause your conscience to be weak, wounded, and defiled. Weak, wounded, and defiled because of sin. In the book of Hebrews, it says that um, our conscience in a natural state uh, is informed by evil. 1 Timothy 4, it says we can get, our conscience can be so damaged that it can be seared. That can be seared. And when the, the Greek word for the word seared in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, is it's like a hot iron. We've all done this. We're ironing clothes. We leave the iron on the piece of clothing. Clothing burns. You can't rescue it. It's, it's ruined, right? And it's the same thing that can happen in the conscience. If we ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, it gets seared. And it's broken pretty much almost beyond repair. And that's why we'll get to that in a moment where you shouldn't ignore your conscience. That's negatively, right? Positively, Paul, Peter, and the writer of Hebrews said that when you come to the Lord, your conscience can actually be in a state where it's good, where it's clear, and when it's, where it's pure. Discernment and conscience. Now, let me take these two biblical ideas of discernment and conscience. I'm going to give you six quick examples from my own life of how this has played out. And again, this is uh, for you to evaluate, and this is how I um, have tried to uh, apply it in my own life to success or failure. Number one, um, I, I have, <coughs> I've taken my kids to Disneyland. Uh, I like Disneyland. I used to work at Disneyland when I was in college. I was a cast member in Tomorrowland uh, for a year. And so uh, my sisters worked at Disneyland when they were younger. And so there's this big kind of tradition. I, I got my first Disneyland annual pass in like 1995. It was $100 back then. I thought, oh, it's so expensive. Um, so I took my kids to Disneyland. And, um, and I thought about that for, for some time, you know, because um, there are some things that Disneyland as a company um, there, there's positions that they take on the LGBTQ plus issue that I am that are in disagreement with the Bible, and so I, I thought about this. And I said, "Well, wait a minute. What am I doing? If I'm taking my kids to Disneyland, and Disneyland is very upfront in their position on LGBTQ plus, and it's a position that's other than the Bible, do I, should I have a problem with that as a Christian? Should I have a problem with that as a pastor? And about 25 years ago." the largest Christian denomination in the country actually barred their like 10,000 pastors or whatever it was and said, if you're part of our denomination, you cannot go to Disneyland because of this issue. Okay? And it's not the case anymore. But, um, and so I thought about it, but then I thought this. I go, okay, discernment and conscience. Okay? My conscience is making me think about this. Let me ask about discernment. And then I thought about it this way. I said, well, wait a minute. It's not just Disneyland. It's Apple, it's Facebook, it's Microsoft, it's Google, it's Tesla, it's Amazon. Not just Disneyland, but Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and Amazon all have official company positions to where they say, we are pro-LGBTQ+, or they say, hey, if you need an abortion now with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, our company will pay for you to be to your travel expenses, go to another state to get an abortion if you live in a state where you know you're not able to get it. So then I said, well, wait a minute. Do I use Apple products? Do I Google search? Do I shop on Amazon? Do I go on Facebook? 
Yes, I do. So now I said this. I go, I either say, I'm not going to be involved in any of that stuff to any degree and just abstain for every, all that stuff. Or I say, okay, well, there's a discernment here. Where do I see it? Part of it is okay. That Can I be part of something without participating and believing in it? Everything that that company is for. And so you may agree, you may disagree. But where I came down on this is I said, I know what I believe. I know what my kids believe. Um, there's a, in this situation, I can parse it. I mean, come on, it's Disneyland. I mean, no, no I'm just kidding. Um, where you may disagree, and that's okay. You may be like, you know what, that, that's enough. I'm going to abstain from Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Tesla. Now. And if you do, I, great, I support that. Okay. But that's where I came down on that, is that I felt I, if I'm going to be consistent, let me be consistent all the way. Otherwise, what am I really saying? Second example, um, I know of Christian leaders. Um, I know of three uh, fairly prominent Christian leaders, at least in the circles I run in. And um, one Christian leader, I, I've had two dialogues with him over the past five years. Uh, he runs this occultic tour in Little Tokyo. Um, and I, I've actually emailed him a few times over the years and said, hey, I, I, and I do it respectfully, right? Because First Timothy 5 says, don't rebuke an uh, older man sh- sharply. And so all three of these guys are older than me. And the first guy said, you know, I don't think it's a good idea. I say this in love, but, uh, you know, it, it's really holding up the occult, what you're doing. I urge you to not do this. And he completely ignored what I said, right? But I felt in con- my conscience was bothering me. I had to at least try and say something. I'm not responsible for his actions to listen to me or not. I am responsible to warn if I feel, but I need to do it in a truthful and loving way. Two other leaders that I know of have recently participated and are about to, well, hopefully they won't, but at least one of them probably will, in an interfaith service between, that involves Christians and Buddhists. And I have talked to both of these leaders in the past six months. One of them, I talked to him on the phone. The other, I spoke to them in person. I said, um... Because one of them actually, I got an email from a Buddhist priest about two weeks ago. And this Buddhist priest says, he's invited me to be a Christian pastor at an interfaith service that's led by the Buddhist priest. And he says, oh, I got your name from this other Christian leader. So I went to that Christian leader. I said, "Um, you know, I'll say this respectfully. You know, you can choose what you want for your own life. But I'm going to email back this priest. I'm going to tell him why I'm not going to be part of this, which I did. And I said, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 forbids me from being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I said, um, I said to this Christian leader, this is a bad move. It's a bad move because um, this is not what the Lord wants, one. And two, if other Christians get wind that you're part of this service, it'll look badly for you, okay? And I urge you not to do it. I'm hoping he listens. The other Christian leader did not. Uh, he was part of um, narrating uh, an... Uh, an exhibit that uh, combined Buddhism and Christianity, which was just astonishing to me. Um, uh, so, but discernment. I had to have the discernment to say, uh, this is not about outreach. This is not about showing that we're for the community. This is about the compromise of the gospel. And I had to show discernment of that, and my conscience moved me to speak to them, leaders. Number three, uh, my children have been reading these books. And uh, these books that they've been reading, I, I asked for permission uh, from my children to share this. Um, they've been reading these books a lot over the past half year. And uh, I first went to my children and I said, you know, what's in these books? And they go, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's harmless and stuff. I go, okay. You know? um, and we were out to lunch uh, maybe about two or whatever weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. And one of my children brought one of the books with them to lunch. And they were just so intent on reading, which I had noticed over the past couple of weeks. They're really intensely reading. It's almost like a spell had been cast over them, right? It's not like, hey, they're on an electronic device, but they were just so into this. And I looked at that, and just my conscience, my discernment said, something else is probably going on here with these books. And so I asked both of my children, I said, tell me about these books. What's in these books? And they're like, oh, there's spells. There's the incantations. They're, they talk about manipulating energy. There's crystals and stuff like that. I go, Really? Because that's not what we talked about before. You told me it was just about elves. And no, it's about something much more than that. And, um, and I said, well, what do you think about that? Do you think there's an issue with that? Okay. Now, um, and, and to their credit, they said, you know what? We probably shouldn't be reading this. And, and, and they've 
given that up, I think. Um, <laughs> but hear me on this, you guys. Um, I could have turned to my children at that moment and said, give me the book, I'm burning it. And when I get home, it's in the trash, goodbye, end of the story. You live in my house, that's the way it goes. Okay? Um, I could have said that. But, you know, uh, me and Lorraine, we decided early on, we said, this is how we're going to parent our children. We said, in the early years, when we say early, we're talking about, like, pre-puberty. We said, up until that whole time, we both are going to turn to our children, and we're going to say this. Here's what you're going to believe. Here's what we're going be- to do as a family. You don't have a choice. And the reason why is because children do not understand Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Think on the things that are right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, excellent, all of that. They have to be taught that. Okay? And see, the, the issue with young children is that they have to be taught it because if they don't start from the position of knowing what, what is right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, etc., what that looks like, they won't be able to tell what it's not. And so we said... As we raise our children in the beginning, we're going to teach them what goodness and truth looks like. But we also said, you know, I was, I was involved, you know, I've been involved in some way or another with youth ministry for 30 years. And I, I said, you know, but when they get to be teenagers uh, and, or puberty and, and, and therefore beyond, we're going to have to make a, a position switch where it's not just going to be here, we're here, you're down here. Um, and there are some issues where you need to be like that as a parent. I'm not saying there's not. But there's going to be, it has to be an aspect where we start to switch to side by side. So I come along my children and I say, okay, what are you seeing with this issue? What does your discernment tell you? What, does your conscience bother you or does it not bother you here? Because this is what I'm seeing. What do you see? And I'm trying to guide them through the process. Now, I know that they're going to make mistakes on that. What I am looking for with my kids is, are they able to exhibit discernment? Is their conscience functioning in a semi, in somewhat healthy way. And because, and I, I've told them this from the beginning. I said, you know what? One day mommy and daddy are not going to be here. You know that we're going to die one day, obviously. But you know what? If you, you know, graduate high school and move out of the house, you know, most of the time we ever spend together in our entire lives will be past us. Because you're going to be spending time at college or with your career. And so this is this time that we have. You've got to use it to your advantage with us and that. And so... Um, so I was proud of that. And uh, one more thing on this before I move on. My kids watch Star Wars. Um, I, I'd say, except for the Emperor parts, because that's horror movie part. But we watch these stars. Now let me ask you a question. If I put Star Wars over here, and then I put Stranger Things over here, okay? Horror, levitation, um, you know, just uh, monsters, just grotesque monsters or whatever. If I put Doctor Strange in the multiverse over here, okay, or even worse, you know, you can do a black phone or whatever you want to call. Okay, if I put that over there and I put Star Wars over here, I would guess that many Christians would say it's okay to watch Star Wars. Okay, because yeah, it's the Force, Buddhism, New Age, but that's one part of Star Wars. Most of it is this galactic battle between, you know, good and evil. Do people die like stormtroopers? Yeah, they do. But most Christians, and I think rightly so, would look at Star Wars and say, okay, that's generally okay, most of the Star Wars movies. But if your discernment and conscience is working properly, follow me on this, you start with, let's say, Star Wars, and you start to move towards uh, Harry Potter, Stranger Things, horror movies. And my question to you is, at what point does it cross the line? Does it cross the line? At what point does it cross the line between Star Wars, where it crosses the line and say, no, that's darkness, complete darkness? It does, doesn't it? Where is that line? You know where that line is if your conscience is working properly and you have biblical discernment. And so there is a line that that's important. That's why you need to, I spoke at my daughter's um, and and my son's um, homeschooling group several months ago, and I said to the teens, I said, you know what? Where is the line? Because you know what? If you don't see any line that gets crossed into evil and sin, or you do see it with discernment, but your conscience says, I don't care. If that's where you're at, and I said to the teens, then something is wrong with you. 
something is wrong with how your soul is not is working or not working. And that has nothing to do with whether I'm a parent talking to you or not. It has nothing to do with all oh, these old, we're young. This has to do with how your soul is designed and how it's supposed to work according to God. And if it's not functioning properly, you have a problem, not with me, not with culture, but with how your soul is uh, improperly working. So you got to address that. Um, next uh, example. Uh, I got, um, I was on the phone recently last week. Try this. I was on the phone recently last week with um, uh, some people that I knew in Northern California. And uh, the mother was there on the phone. The son was there. The son's probably about 23 years old. And the son said to me, I'm, you know, I've known these people a long time. Uh, the son said to me, hey, yeah, it's so great because I'm reading this book and it's helping me. And he said the book's name is called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. How many of you have heard that book? The older people probably have. That's a book. It was written like in the 50s or 60s, okay? Just to give you, uh, just to give you a context. If you've ever heard anyone today come on these infomercials or these advertisements said, and these people who say, are, are, are you lonely? Are you depressed? Come to my seminar. I'll help you to think right about your life. I'll help you to, to, to make friends. I'll help you to have a successful career. I'll help you with all of this. Come to my seminar. If you've ever heard of people like that today, um, that came not originally from Dale Carnegie, but he was a figure uh, from 50, 60 years ago that helped popularize this positive psychology, human empowerment movement. And so when this person told me that he was reading that, I said, oh, okay. And then, you know, we ended the call. I texted him this week and uh, his mom on the text too. And I said to them, uh, I just want to mention something. Uh, you know how you said you're reading How to Win Friends and Influence People? Um, I would stay away from that book. I would stay away from it because scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, um, do not fall captive to any vain philosophy according to human tradition that comes against Christ. And that's what that book was. I knew this because when I was in eighth grade, my dad turned to me and he said, hey, good news. We're going to Disney World. It's going to be great. It's a whole family trip. But my dad said, now, if you want to come with us as a family, here's a book to read. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And my dad said to me, you will go on this trip once you have read this entire book. He said that to me in eighth grade. I read the entire book when I was in eighth grade. And I remember having this conversation with my parents. They said, what do you think? I remember telling both my parents when I was in eighth grade, I said, mom and dad, I don't like this book. And I'll tell you why. It's because what this book is about is how to manipulate people to achieve your definition of personal success. And this is not what the Bible teaches. And I remember my dad going, what are you talking about? My mom was like, oh, it's just positive. I said, no, no, this is something about this is wrong. And that was my conscience telling me. And I texted uh, this person. He said, okay, well, let me think about it. I don't know what he's going to do. My point is this. You get, when your conscience bothers you, you have to speak up. If you see others falling into error, you are responsible before God if you don't speak up. Now, you don't have to be obnoxious about it, but you have to say something. That's the definition of love. And love is not, I will keep silent and then just be there when you fall. We wouldn't do that with our kids, would we? Right? And should we do that with other brothers and sisters in Christ? A um, couple more. Uh, I w every Wednesday night, we have an elders meeting on Zoom. And um, this past Wednesday, um, I, I don't even know what we were talking about, but Mike over here, he, he made a comment, and he goes, oh, yeah, just like those people who wear cool shoes that are too expensive, those, like, sneakerholics guys who wear cool shoes that are too expensive for them to wear. And when, when he said that, I'm reading between the lines, Mr. Chamberlain. You know what I thought of? I thought of Nate. Over <laughs> Nate, you got your space hippies on today, right? <laughs> I say that because Nate and I have the same uh, taste in shoes, okay? But I intentionally did not wear my space hippies today because I knew I was going to say that. Um, so we, Nate and I are probably the only ones in here that get it, right? Uh, but when Mike said that, literally, 
within a second and a half, no longer than two seconds, after he said, oh, yeah, it's like those people who wear expensive, expensive sneakers thinking they're cool. It was Zoom. I raised my hand. I said, that's me. That's me. <laughs> now, why do I share that? I share that because um, as I think about that this week, it, it reminded me my discernment and conscience is working properly. Yeah, I'm not going to be cheap, uh, you know, preachers with sneakers, right? All right? I'm not going to be on that Instagram for the, the, the expensive shoes that I wear. They're not that expensive to be there. But my point is, is that I looked back on God. I said, within two seconds, the Spirit convicted me and said, is he talking about you? Yes, he probably is. And secondly, is, are you convicted? Yes, you are. And so I raised my hand in confession. And the good thing about it is that I, it reminded me of my discernment conscience working properly. And so I need to be aware of that. What is it for you? You may look at me. It's funny, right? You have, right? We all have our own thing. Maybe it's some piece of technology, a car, clothing, food. Uh, what is it in your life where if I were to say, oh, yeah, it's just like that person who has this and that, you would feel immediately, right? Um, last example. I was talking with someone on the phone uh, <coughs> two days ago. And this is a pastor that I've known for uh, 20 years. So he's, uh, in many ways, a mentor to me. And he's older. He's like in his like early 70s or so. I was talking with him, and he asked me a question. And again, I'm not going to go into details. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but it's not important that you do. Um, but uh, there was about a six-year period, six-year period in my life um, from... Right before when my dad died in 2016, uh, from about 2015 to 2021, about a six-year period, it was the darkest years of my entire life, that six-year period. Um, and it had nothing to do with you as a church. It had nothing to do with my family of, you know, Lorraine, Darcy, Keeney, nothing to do with either one of you. It had to do with external factors going on, uh, extenuating factors in other areas. Um, and it was the darkest period of my life. And he said, well, is that situation resolved? And I said, yes. And, um, but this is what I said to him. And I've said this in prayer to the Lord many times. Follow me on this. Is that I've had to search my own life and say, how did I handle myself during that six-year period stretch of that dark period? And as I, you know, I've thought about this like a thousand times, literally a thousand times. And I came to this conclusion. I said to uh, my pastor friend, I said, you know what? I'm confident. I'm confident that as I look back on the past six years, I've handled myself with integrity. I'm confident that, and I'm ready to be judged by the Lord. Um, and if the Lord finds me wanting, so be it. I'm not saying that out of arrogance or pride. I'm saying that because I believe it to be true. And I've had to discern my own motives. I've had to discern my own actions or inactions during that time. And again, this is not a pastoral disqualifying thing. That's not what we're talking about. It was something that was going on with um, just other areas that I had no control over. Why do I mention that on a sermon about discernment and conscience? I mention that because um, you have to discern your own heart. And you have to ask yourself, in an area of my life, and I'm not talking about every single area of my life, but in this area that I was talking about, do I have a clean conscience? Does my conscience bother me? As I look back with discernment on the action, the words, whatever happened or didn't happen, do I feel that, uh, that there was integrity there? My answer is yes. Why is that important? When you look in the book of Psalms, in the book of Psalms, you find David saying many times, Lord, search me. See if there's any wicked way in me. I'm ready to stand before you. Judge me, Lord, and judge my enemies. Right? I believe, now, as an, now that I'm older, is that when 1 John chapter 2, it says there are children in the faith, there are uh, like young men in the faith, and then there are fathers in the faith. Children, young men, and fathers. 1 John 2. And I think that part of growing up as a Christian, part of maturing in Christ, part of um, just becoming more of a spiritual father and not a child in the faith comes to the place where you can say, all right, with all of my experience uh, with the Lord, all of my experience knowing God's word, all of my experience with God's people, 
I'm at a place to where, not flawlessly, but I'm at a place where I feel like I know the heart of God. I'm at a place where I know what the scripture's saying. I'm at a place where I know my own heart. I know the heart of God. I know what scripture's saying. And I know my own heart. And it's based upon that that I have discerned that I'm rightly walking with the Lord. I think God wants that. I don't think he wants you to say that arrogantly or pridefully, but I think what God wants is for all of us to get to the place, not to where we're constantly saying, oh my gosh, what, what is the will of the Lord? Oh my gosh, and, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know what the Lord thinks. What is this or that? Okay, that's how a child thinks. Okay, we all go through that. But eventually we got to get to the place where we're grown-ups, to where we say, you know what, I'm confident that this is the heart of the Lord. I'm confident because I know this book. And I'm confident because I know the deceitfulness of my own heart. And I know when my conscience is bothering me and when it's working properly. I think that's where the Lord wants us to get to. That's what it means to mature in Christ. And uh, certainly that happens in real life, right? You don't want a 60-year-old think, you know, acting like a teenager. You look towards your older parents and grandparents because you, you, you see with them, or should see in them, some stability, some sense of wisdom, right? And so discernment and, and conscience. Uh, so those are six examples. Hopefully that's helpful to you at some level. Um, I'm going to close with just a few words on developing discernment and developing a good conscience. So how do you develop biblical discernment? Let me give three examples. Number one, you develop this biblical discernment by involving your life with God's word. Involving God's word in your life. Uh, you are to examine the teachings through scripture. That teaches you discernment, Acts 17. Romans chapter 12 says that when we our, our minds are renewed or renewed with God's word, Romans 12, we discover the will of God. Philippians 4 says that when we um, focus on the things that are right and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy and apply those things, that God's peace and the peace of God will be with us. Let me stop there for a moment on that last point. Philippians 4, verse 8 and following. Focus on the things that are right, true, noble, excellent, worthy. How do you develop discernment? You focus on what the truth of God's word is. There are so many things in your life that are full of error. Think about it. How many of you right now would be able to come up here and articulate to everyone else the worldview of Buddhism, Islam, the New Age movement, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, secular humanism? How many of you could could articulate, many of us would say, okay, that's false, that's wrong, but could I give a five-minute speech on the world? We probably couldn't. And so there's a world full of error that we're surrounded by, and the best way to combat error, follow me on this, is not to study error. It's to study truth. Because if you study truth, then when you hear error, you will know it's error. And so, yeah, can you study what Buddhism is about and to learn more? Yeah, you can do that, but it's not more important than to know what truth looks like so you can recognize what's not. And that's how to develop a discerning mind. That's why you study the Bible. That's why it's important to come to church. That's why you expose yourself to the sermons and the body of Christ so that you can see what is right and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. So you can recognize what's not. The better way to go about de developing discernment, to study truth, not error. Philippians, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is the one book in human history that's actually spiritually alive, living and active, the scripture says in Hebrews 4. It says this is the one book, when you read it and let it examine you, that's able to examine your thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4. And so that's, you let the word of God discern you, and you learn more about yourself and your motivations, because knowing ourselves is very important, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that the way you develop discernment is to learn God's word and put it into practice. He said children, uh, in Hebrews 5, he says children, uh, they, they focus on the milk of God's word, the basic doctrines, but solid food, the, the, the deeper doctrines of the faith are for the mature who have developed discernment by practicing the truth, Hebrews 5. 
You want to grow, you have to apply God's word, and it will develop your discernment. Secondly, not involving yourself in God's word, but prayer. You need to pray for discernment. In Philippians chapter 1, you want to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, you can go to 10 and 11. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. This is actually, these three verses were uh, the theme verses that I chose for Darcy's life when she was born. That's uh, like my one, uh, me and Lorraine's one long-standing prayer for her, specifically in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. But in verse 9, Paul prayed for the Philippian church to have discernment. He says in verse 9, chapter 1, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge of the Lord and discernment. Paul prayed for the Philippian church. I am praying that you have a knowledge of the Lord and that you have discernment to be able to tell the good from the evil. Are you praying that the Lord would grow you in discernment? Are you praying that the Lord would grow your family in discernment? Are you praying that the Lord would grow this church in discernment? Thirdly, um, not only do you need to have the word of God in your life, prayer in your life, but you need to have the community of wise people in your life. A community of wise people in your life. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Love this one, my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools, what? Suffers harm. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Who you're around is going to be wise or foolish. If you're around wise people, what happens to you? You grow in godly wisdom. If you're around foolish people, what happens to you? You'll suffer harm. Has anyone in this room hung around foolish people recently? Have you suffered harm at the hands? And it's not just your friends or coworkers. Uh, now in our age, in social, the, the, the age of social media, the people we follow on social media are essentially become our friends. If we're spending hours on social media, and we get it, we're all like this to a degree or not, those become your friends. And if you're around people who are constantly foolish, in some way they're, they're teaching you a worldview. And you're going to suffer harm, right? So friends is not, in our world, not just physical people. It's also what we, electronic. All right, so developing discernment, word, prayer, community. A few words on developing a good, clear, and pure conscience. A good, clear, and pure conscience. How do we develop a good, pure, and conscience? If discernment is the ability to tell what's good from evil, um, conscience is saying, once I've determined that, to say, now I care. I care enough to hold on to the good, and I care enough to get away from the evil because my conscience is working properly. So how do we have a good, clear, and pure conscience? Number one, we need to confess sin. We need to confess our sins. First John chapter 1, if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not just about forgiveness, it's about what? Cleansing. I'll bet everyone in this church took a shower or a bath since last Sunday. Okay? You all understand the importance of being cleansed. And you're not just saying, oh, I'm forgiven from last Sunday, but you didn't take a shower. No, we, just like we bathe ourselves, your spirit needs to be bathed. If you're not part of church, if you're just doing it on your own, if you are not receiving communion, if you're, you know what's happening in your soul? is that you may be forgiven in a, in a justified way, in a, in, a, in a salvation way. That's great. But in a sanctified day-to-day, um, what's actually happening in your spirit is sin is calcifying around your soul. And what's happening is that's both grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. And what confession does, it not just only restores uh, a daily forgiveness with God that's in a sanctifying way, but also melts away the spiritual calcification of sin on your heart because it cleanses you. We need, and that makes your conscience working properly. So we need to confess sin. Number two, we need to make sure we're not ignoring our conscience. 
We're not ignoring our conscience. Like we mentioned before in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, if you ignore your conscience, it says there, some people in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, um, they have devoted themselves, it says in that passage, to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. These people who devoted themselves to the demonic and false teaching, their consciences were seared, ruined. Why? Because they kept ignoring it. And there's a big danger to you if we get involved in activity and our conscience is bothering us and we ignore it and ignore it. Oh, and maybe we repent. I'm sorry, Lord. And we, and we, and we keep ignoring it. And the more you ignore it, the more momentum we get. And all of a sudden, it becomes harder to resist. Our conscience doesn't bother us anymore. And all of a sudden, it becomes seared. And almost beyond repair. And so you never want to teach a believer to ignore their conscience. Okay. Um, I, I was watching a video um, this week <coughs> on tattoos. And uh, this was, you know, it's just a video that came up on YouTube. And I thought, oh, here's, uh, I want to hear what John MacArthur has to say on tattoos. There was a church... Uh, out in Sun Valley, it's about, I don't know, 40 miles from here. And they have a Q&A session on Sunday nights. I don't know how often they do it. Uh, but they had a Q&A session. I go, oh, I want to hear what Pastor MacArthur has to say about tattoos. And so it was about an eight-minute video, and this one woman asked him, what do you think about tattoos? And he basically said this. He said, um, uh, in Leviticus, tattoos were a sign of paganism. Because that's why it says in Leviticus, don't get a tattoo because it was associated back then with um, um, worship of a pagan god in the Old Testament. It's obviously not necessarily that anymore, right? What he said secondly actually kind of surprised me, and, and to his credit, because, you know, he's older, his early 80s. He said, I don't see anything biblically wrong with getting a tattoo. Now, of course, you're going to get something of Satan that's a different issue, but if you get a, a tattoo that's morally neutral or like a cross or something, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. He said, oh, I don't have any tattoos. I wouldn't get one. And I, I thought it was to his credit because as an older person who doesn't have one or won't get one, he's like, hey, it may not be wise because you may regret it later on in life. Um, he said, biblically, there's no prohibition in the New Testament against it. Um, but at the same time, I think as I was listening to that and I was thinking about it, I realized, you know what? But there's also an issue not just of discernment, is it right or wrong, but an issue of conscience. Right. If I was to turn to my wife and say, I'm going to get a tattoo across my chest of a big cross. Okay. Now follow me on this. Because I can. And uh, the Old Testament law doesn't apply in that sense. And uh, it's a godly thing. I'm getting a tattoo. And I, and I said, I'm going to do it because I want it. I really want it. Now, could I do that? Do I have the biblical freedom to do that? Could that be God-honoring in a way? Yeah, I could. However, on the other hand, when you come to a matter of conscience, I also need to be asking myself, if I get that tattoo, is that going to violate the conscience of another believer that I care about? That was the issue. We don't have time to go into this, right? In 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, and 11, that was the issue. Your action, where you have freedom to do something, you may have freedom, but if that wounds the conscience of another believer, you're no longer doing it out of love. And so you have to balance those things, right? You have the discernment to get it, but is it doing a stumbling block to someone else? Out of love, out of love we need to be aware of that. All right, lastly for today, um, having a good and clear and pure conscience, confess sin, don't ignore it, and lastly, inform your conscience with God's word. Inform your conscience with God's word, which we've talked about already. All right. In conclusion, um, you want to um, come to the end of the sermon and you want to be examining your life and say, do I want to mature as a Christian? Do I want to become more Christ-like? Do I want to be the type of Christian that can look at the evil world that we live in and be discerning. Do I want my conscience to be clean so that I can stay away? I can notice what's wrong and bad of what's coming my way or I'm involved in 
and turn from it because I believe that I want to know, I want my conscience to be functioning properly because when it's functioning properly, guess what? The Holy Spirit is fully at work in my life and I, I believe that's the right way. That's the good way. Do you believe that? Because if you do, then you should care about discernment and conscience. There are a lot of Christians that don't. You're going to run into a lot of Christians today, they lack discernment. And their conscience is weak, wounded, defiled, or seared. Right? Don't be one of them. If we are discerning Christians, our conscience is working properly, um, God will produce a fountain of good fruit in your life. And he will heal you of many of the things that have sickened your soul. And so let's be discerning. Let's make our conscience work right because we're bringing it to the Lord. He will bless. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we close our time in your word, we pray that um, as Paul prayed to the Philippian church, we may have discernment. We may have discernment that is based in a knowledge of who you are. We pray, Lord, that our conscience would not be working improperly because it's defiled by the world, but rather it would be good and pure and clean before you. We long for that, Lord. There's great peace. There's great joy in knowing that our conscience is right. And so we, if it's not, Lord, we just come to you now and ask that you would cleanse it. Ask that uh, you would heal us, Lord. Ask that you would grow us in discernment so that we may walk in wisdom in the wicked times in which we live and walk victoriously through that, Lord. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.